this day you've made it for us to rejoice and be glad in. And we thank you, Lord, for gladness, rejoicing, excitement for what you're going to do today, Father. As long as we're excited, we can anticipate good things. So we thank you, Lord, for Holy Ghost excitement in us all the time. In Jesus' name, amen and praise God. Amen, amen, amen. So God told me to tell you to just do it, okay? Just do it. Just do it. There's certain things that um, God has mandated. You know what that means? It means that he's commanded it and he's holding us responsible to do it. Amen. Once he tells you what to do, he's not going to beg you. He's not going to keep telling you. Believers know what to do. We know that there's an unction inside of us that causes us to speak causes us to share Christ, share your testimony. I tell people, if you don't understand your testimony, ask God to fill your mouth with words. Amen. Um, Everybody should know where they came from, how they arrived in God's kingdom. Uh, Some people even know the day, the month, the hour. Uh, I didn't keep up with mine that, that way, but I know that I remember the year that I was saved. I remember the circumstances. I remember what God did for me. I remember I needed God and cried out to him uh, for what I needed. And so it's very, very important for us that we understand what our message is. There's nothing else you must understand as a believer. You need to know what your message is. God, what do I tell people about my relationship with you? How do I go about being a good witness for you? What do I say? So take some time periodically just to refresh yourself in the things of God. Ask him, God, what do I tell people? How do I convince people that Jesus loves them and that he is real? Amen. And that's really all you do as a witness. You present God in his present state that is alive and living. All the other gods are dead, so we have an easy job. We serve the only one who is alive. And so what we need to do is cultivate that relationship, cultivate that understanding of how do we tell people um, what God has done for us. What's our testimony? What type of witness are we? And so we need to understand that these are acts of faith when we step out and we witness for God. So in James chapter um, 1, if you'll turn there, amen. Everybody get on the same page. Let's get James. Amen. James chapter 1. In verse 19, he begins talking he's giving some some sound doctrine sound advice and admonishment to the church and verse 19 he starts out he says wherefore my beloved brethren in other words um, you are the ones that God has accepted whenever there's a reference to beloved uh, it, it actually means beloved of God, accepted by God, close to God. Amen. So to be beloved of God means to be given a place of 
proximity and closeness to him. It means to have all sins forgiven. It means to be, have access into his presence. So he says, beloved brethren, let every man be what? Swift to hear. In other words, don't keep talking when somebody wants to talk to you. Don't talk over them. Don't butt in before they get finished. Understand that as believers, we have to be attentive and polite, you know, mannerable. In other words, don't be a contentious people, a person. So we are, are, are swift to hear. In other words, you, you listen and understand. Be slow to speak and slow to get angry. So don't, in other words, he's telling us how to stay out of the flesh and how to let the spirit give the spirit a chance to speak to us and speak through us. Amen. So if you're swift to hear, that means you, you know how to keep quiet and you know how to let people talk. Sometimes you almost have an answer ready for people before they finish. You understand what I'm saying? Because you're abrupt or you're, you're defensive or ready to pounce. And so he says, be a peace loving person, in other words, and be a respectful person and slow to get angry. Don't let yourself start flying off. When you fear, feel that flash of anger hit you, uh, don't let that lead you into your next words or your next mood or your next something. Many times you'll hear people who have, uh, who have violent tempers, uh, who have murdered people. You'll hear them say things like, I just snapped or I, something came over me and I couldn't control myself anymore. Well, number one, they need the Lord bad. If you know, if you're, but if you're still like that with the Lord, then God has a way to teach you how not to be so quick tempered and act on that anger. Amen. That flash of anger that comes. I remember reading a testimony years ago. I used to uh, just feed on testimonies when I was a new Christian because it always encouraged me. If I had a problem that was similar, I would leave, oh God, that I'm so glad you were able to do that for so and so. I know you can do it for me. And there was a woman who was angry and she would get angry and uh, hit her children very abruptly. And and she knew it was wrong and, and she was a Christian. And she talked about how she would talk to God about that And little by little she saw improvement. God would give her things to do to help her. So the Holy Spirit is our helper if we want help. And she felt so bad about the fact that she couldn't control her temper with her children. And, but she stayed with it until she got victory. You see what I'm saying? So many times we quit on things because we think it takes too much effort. You know, now, it it seems like it took over a period of a couple of years for her to master this where she was able to understand discipline versus her anger where she wanted she was lashing out at her children in anger, angry outbursts. You know, the Bible says that uh uh we we discipline our children for our own pleasure. 
But God does it for our profit. Amen. You see that in Hebrews. It it says don't despise the chastening of the Lord. Those of us who have natural fathers have accepted their discipline at their pleasure. In other words, if your children break the rules, you get angry because they've broken your rule. You're personally offended. And that's where much of that anger comes from. So you feel better if you make them know they made you mad when they disobeyed. That's your pleasure. Amen. So if you're a Christian parent, you got to know the difference. And many times children will rebel and get defiant because they've been disciplined in a, a retaliatory way instead of in a way to teach them, admonish them, chasten them, bring them discipline. Chastening is supposed to bring discipline to them so that they understand the benefits of obedience. But you as a, a authority figure, you have to understand the difference between your being personally offended because they broke your rule versus this is what God has given me to help you to be a good citizen, a respectful person. You understand what I'm saying? So that's really the purpose for discipline. Now, I guarantee you 99% of parents don't understand this. Because I've worked with people in, you know, in, in mental health and situations like that. They have no clue what to do with that baby when they bring it home except feed it. Most of them can get it fed and changed consistently enough for when they get potty trained. They leave them on their own. But they don't understand that you are raising that child to teach them certain things. Then when they're older, the parent will say, well, you weren't raised like that, really. What did you put inside of them? And so we have to understand our own shortcomings in some of these things and make remedies for it. That's all I'm saying. You've got to make remedy for it because it's so easy to get personally offended when someone fails to do something you tell them to do. You take it personally. It's easy to take criticism personally and not as a way to help you to do better. Most people say they want to do better, but the the implementation of it they despise. See? I'll talk to the Presbyterians. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, it's just human nature. Quit being human. Start being godly. Amen? You're, you're not just mere human beings. None of us are. We're godly people. And so what God would have us to do would be to live out of the fruit of the Spirit. Live with peace within yourself, peace with everybody else, and also live in an expectation of God molding you and shaping you to conform to the image of Christ. You are being molded and shaped. You're not perfect. You're not correct in everything. God doesn't hold that against you. He has total confidence that you're going to make it through. He is confident you won't be a victim of your angry outbursts for the rest of your life. He has total confidence that you'll have total self-control and that you will be an example to those instead of a, a problem to people. 
You understand what I'm saying? People get in the habit sometimes of controlling other people through their emotions. You got me? That's That's just as true as it can ever be. You want to control people through your emotions. Because we can't handle the fact that something in our environment would be beyond our control. Well, I got news for you. There's all kinds of things in your environment beyond your control. You can't control the weather. Now you can say you use your faith to do it, but we do it here and there. We don't do it every day. So if you're comfortable letting the weather be what the weather is, you should be comfortable letting your spouse be what they are or uh, your children be what they are, the pastor be what he is or she is. You you need to get comfortable with things you cannot control. Amen. And just ask God to give you peace about things. Ask him to help you to uh, know what's your territory and know what's theirs. And so that's the Christian thing to do. And so he says, keep this discipline about you. Be slow to speak, swift to hear. In other words, listen to people. Don't have a preformed idea before they get finished talking. Amen. And, and slow to get angry. Just just let your anger not be the first thing that you experience. And he says, <clears throat> For the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. So your angry outbursts do not work the righteousness of God. That won't get you to God's righteousness. Amen. He says, Therefore, lay apart... All filthiness and excessive naughtiness and receive with meekness. Somebody tries to give you the word, you're supposed to receive it meekly, not argue with them or be defensive or tell them you can't do that or you're not ready for it. Receive with what? Yeah. That means humble yourself. It means shut up. It means listen. The engrafted word which is able to save your souls. So this is for your benefit. Your soul needs to be saved from what? From worry, from fear, insecurity, See, this is what the engrafted word saves you from. It saves you from worry, from fear, from excessive anger. It saves you from making mistakes. It saves you from having to be embarrassed and corrected all the time. It will save your soul. And so what the writer is saying, what James is saying here, he says, you know, if you guys would meekly Receive the word of God. If somebody's giving you the word, just humble yourself. Listen. Be slow to speak. Quick to hear. Just keep listening to what they have to say. And let that word come in you and get grafted in you. See, this is the problem. We sit and we listen. We buy tapes. We buy books. We get tablets. We got phones. We got the word on everything. But we are slow to hear it. To let it correct us, to let it get grafted in us so that it can start renewing our minds 
reason that we we don't have the response God wants us to have is that we are not in the process of allowing that word to renew our minds. In other words, there's something in me that gets angry when I hear a word of correction. And I've got to stop that, God, because I've got to receive this word of correction with meekness. Because if, as long as you're correcting me, you have faith in me that I will get better at this. You got me? So if God is sending you a word of correction, that means there's hope for you. There's love there. He's still working on you. He's got good plans for you. And those plans will be realized if you will allow that process to take place. You you have to quit refuting everything that comes towards you that looks like it's it's saying you're not a good person. Because that's not what people are saying. Not at all. No. They're saying there's more to you than your faults. And if you can receive this word, that will start to emerge instead of just faults all the time. Or why... As a Christian who's been a Christian for so long, are you still hung up on your faults? Why is that still the biggest thing in your life? Huh? That's not bigger than what God's plan is for you. It's not bigger than God's grace. It's not bigger than God's mercy. It's big to you because you don't know how to allow yourself to be developed in God. Amen. So we need to steady ourselves and understand, God, you're still working on me and I thank you for it. God, you haven't given up on me. You could have written me off. You know, for all the times I do this and I still haven't gotten it right yet, you could have written me off a long time ago. But you decided not to. You're still working for my good and not working out your mistakes and excusing them which you are forgiven but you're not excused you understand the difference you're forgiven but you're not excused the difference see when we make excuses you ever do this where God points out something to you and you, you say, oh, oh God, I'm sorry. Let's forgive me. But it's because. Or if they hadn't done this. See, that's the excuse. Well, God doesn't hear that part of it. Huh? Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why excuses are bad and explanations. Everybody's got a bunch of them and they come from hell because that's not the reason you do what you do. You don't know the reason. So trying to supply a reason is a lie. What a reason does is you try to take the sting out of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And you're seeking your own comfort for your wrongdoing. And what that does. It gives you permission to repeat it again. So that's why it doesn't get better. That's why you still get embarrassed. When you do that thing. That you know is wrong to do. You're nervous about 
it happening again because you don't know how to really get forgiven and be cleansed because you keep trying to make excuses for it. It's like the victim mentality that people in the world have. You know, everybody's a victim now. Uh, and, and politicians have found that victimizing people gives them power over them. Then this is why they do it. Oh, we, we're, we're for the seniors to give them better Medicaid and all the singers say, oh yeah, we'll vote for you and the Medicaid never gets better. Oh, you saw we tried to push that bill through and so and so fought us for it and we couldn't get it pushed through because so and so doesn't want us to have it and, and you're still a victim, right? So, and the same thing with inner city people, poor people, anybody they can victimize, women they victimize, you know, if you're a certain race you get victimized, everybody gets victimized at their convenience. But what God is saying to his people, you are not victims, you are victors. If you do it my way, you got to do it my way. got to do it my way. Amen? So you go to God with your faults. You go to him with your complaints. You go with him to him with your lack. You go to him for every single thing that's in your life that's not right. He's there to make it right for you. He's the right maker. Amen. So it says the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. So therefore lay aside all this nonsense. All the fleshly stuff. And receive the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But once you receive the word then go do it. Go do the word. He says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So if you're in deception, you did it to yourself because you refused to do the word. You sat up and listened to it only. You critiqued it. You... Uh, you know, people say, oh, that word was good. Or you see people who never say that, whether the word's good or not. You know what I'm saying? It's That's critiquing and judging. You know, I mean, I know there's a place for encouraging the minister. And some people are have that gift. You know what I'm saying? They just are happy about the word and they freely encourage the pe- person that they received from. You know what that does for them? That primes the pump for another good sermon. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, it works. Because the worst thing in the world to do, people talk, give you all these statistics about all the preachers that want to quit and they're depressed and all this. Go walk in the spirit. You'll be fine. You get over it. You know, everybody's had things that they're disappointed in or whatever. I don't get disappointed. I find out what I still have an appointment for. You understand what I'm saying? All that's a waste of time. You know, grow up. Maybe you don't need to be a leader yet. You need to go sit on a pew until you get over yourself. It's just a thought. You know, I don't get this. I don't understand all this stuff. I said, now these are grown men. I'm just (laughs) just a (laughs) defenseless little woman here (laughs) preaching. These grown men want to commit suicide because they can't get enough tithe out of the people. You'll never get enough. If you're looking to them to take care of you, you won't get it, buddy. 
not supposed to look at the sheep anyway. You're supposed to be giving to them and they give to God to keep the ministry going. Now if you're going to quit over a paycheck, you need to go pray some more. Hmm? You really do. I'm not just being mean. I'm just, this is just the truth. We need to stop feeling sorry for people that, it's nonsense. It's just nonsense. You'll never make people shape up to, to, and you're not supposed to. God never promised you that. That you be pleased with your job every day. It's up to you to get happy about it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You make your own happy. You're supposed to bring happy with you. That's it. Even the millionaire preachers are upset about something. Everybody gripes. So that may not be, that might be, money might be your gripe. They've got one. They got all the money and you can't get none, but they're griping too about something else. So God tells us then, if we hear the word and don't do it, we're being deceived. Why? Turn over to James chapter 4. Oh, let me finish here. He said, be verse 22 in, in chapter 1, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. You ever see people think they're real powerful Christian, but they just sit and listen all the time, don't do anything with the word? Collect a bunch of tapes, collect a bunch of, uh, books, and always telling other people, oh, you gotta listen to this, gotta listen to this. And you look at their life, they can't pay their bills. Nobody in the household saved. When they go to the store, they run in the store and grab what they want, run out again, don't witness to anybody, don't even try to. You see what I'm saying? So don't, don't try to advertise, you know, all your, your word doing. So you're deceiving yourself because there's very little fruit to show for all of your time and all of your effort and all of that. Okay, so he says, if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, well, you hear a good sermon, and, oh, that word was good, and you don't look for an opportunity to put it into effect. He's like a man looking at his natural face in a glass. Now, while you're in the service, you get a good understanding of what's going on. You understand the word, you hear the word, you like the word, and then... You behold yourself and you go away and you forget what you look like. So you go away from that place of where you heard the word and then you forget how wonderful it was. How it was, cause you don't do the word when you get out. See, we've all been under religion, under the dead church, religious church system where you weren't saved, you went to the service, you endured it. And then you went home and complained about everybody that looked funny. You complained about the preacher. You complained about the this and the that and the other. You never thought to go home and try to put that into practice. And the way you break yourself of those critique habits and judging the word, because that's what you're doing. You're not judging that person you think you are. That's where the deception starts. You think you're judging that person, but you're actually judging the word. He says you look at yourself in the mirror and you forget what you look like. Now think about that. 
You and I know what we look like all the time. We don't have to be in the mirror all the time to know what we, you remember what you look like, right? Doing the word helps us remember what we heard. If you don't do the word, you don't remember what you heard. That's why you have to hear it over and over and over again. So if you don't do the word, it's like looking in a mirror forgetting what you look like. Well, you say that's impossible because I remember what I look like. I do. I remember what I look like all the time. But the Bible says here, if you don't do the word, it's it's akin to that. Almost impossible for that to happen. But that's exactly what happens. And so doing the word helps you remember the word. Why? Because it becomes a part of you. And you begin to train yourself to the word. Amen. And so it says, but whoever looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer, this man shall be blessed in everything he does. So all you got to do is when you get out of here, remember what we talked about and go do it. Start putting it into practice. Start implementing the word instead of just being a hearer. Romans 10.17 says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So if God sends forth faith to you, which is going out now, because we're talking the word, we're preaching the word, faith is going out. He expects you to receive it. And if you receive it, you will act on it. So if you're listening and hearing and receiving faith... God expects you to go out and do it. See, this is why the early church could win 5,000 souls. And, and people in the early church as believers could go out and turn the place upside down. Said they were daily under the apostles doctrine and prayer and they did something with what they heard. They acted on what they heard. They would spill out into the streets and, and go up to the Romans, the pagans. And tell them they go to the synagogue and tell the Jewish people who are still holding on to the law. They tell them about Jesus. Amen. And so that's what's missing for us folks. It's just, it just is. It, if we would do. We always have this. If the church would do so and so and such and such. You understand what I'm saying? No you 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 have to be in a place where this is preached. You'll have small pockets of people, even in mega churches, you'll have small pockets of people that would go out and share Christ with people. It's always a rarity to see people who would diligently do this. It really is. Why? Because people tend not to hear and do. They tend to hear and judge. And then they judge that, well, you know, um, uh, that would be okay to do. Well, I guess that's okay. Well, I don't really have that kind of time or I don't, you understand what I'm saying? Judging. You judge the word as being not for you because you don't do it. Got me? Turn to James 4. Verse 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. 
You're going to make the first move though. Okay. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, double-minded people. So you've got to have one mind all the time. In other words, if you hear the word and say, oh yeah, I, I'm going to do that, and then later on you talk yourself out of doing it, it's double-mindedness. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. So James is talking to a prideful congregation. A congregation that's deceived themselves because they quit doing the word and acting on the word. And he's telling them your your problem really is humility. You've got to do that. He says here, speak not evil, verse 11, of one another. He that speaks evil of his brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. Why is that? Because if that person is your brother in the Lord, he is blood bought. So you're criticizing the blood of Jesus when you speak evil about people. Well, they don't do this and they are this and they are that. So you see that a lot now in in the mainstream media. The court of accusation is alive and well. You got me? People get accused of things and they are judged guilty by accusation. Not by assumed innocent until proven guilty. That almost doesn't exist anymore. You watch some of these, like I, I watch the little bad people shows, you know, bad people. But I'm always amazed at the flimsy evidence that gets presented and they get a guilty verdict. You got me? Uh, um, because people tend to look at things in an emotional way. And of course lawyers capitalize on it. You'll see them in court. They stir up people's emotions and all of that kind of stuff. And, and to be honest with you, in their, their education, legal education, they're taught, um, arguments that are valid arguments and arguments that are invalid. You see more invalid arguments in use in a courtroom than you see valid arguments. You got me? Then they tell the jury you have to decide beyond reasonable doubt. Reasonable means void of emotion. You can't have emotion in play if you're going to have reasonable. How, how reasonable can you be if you're upset or you're angry or you're fired off or you're, you, huh? You can't be reasonable if you've got emotion in there. But, that's what lawyers will do, you know, when they come in there and start. And they'll, they'll, uh, one of the arguments that, that is not, um, permitted is an argument against that person's humanity, which means that, that you can't stir up any kind of prejudice in people. You can't stir up any kind of respect of persons in people. And, and time and again they do it. Paul Manafort, they talked about how many expensive suits he had and he went to Rome and got his suits made and all this kind of stuff to justify them accusing him of of some kind of money irregularities. Martha Stewart spent time in jail almost for nothing because that woman, that was her first infraction against the law. She's known to 
have access to money, funds, and influence, they could have easily given her probation and community service, you know, for her, her, the type of person that she is. But they wanted to, they said there was, that courtroom was packed. They were saying, where'd all these people come? You don't even know her. And you're in the courtroom to see something bad happen to her. You understand what I'm saying? So that's the court of accusation. People will accuse you just because they decide they don't like you. huh? And you don't tell me that doesn't influence everyday people who are going in there to make a decision about something. And so a lot of what goes on now, folks, you've got to have God on your side to keep your life out of the court of accusation. But it's always there always there Uh, these people who are me too victims both sides you know you take a a man's livelihood away uh, because he's made unwanted advances at women well if he was so dangerous why didn't you say something you know I mean if somebody's really a danger to people and really a danger to you you'll speak up and say something but some of them liked it and some of them didn't. That's the problem. So now that he's being exposed, everybody didn't like it. Yeah, grow up, okay? You you got to learn how to see the devil in things. This isn't just how are how is our world surviving with all these people that need to be locked up, running around, doing things. It's acceptable in their their social circle it's acceptable in their business they've given sanction to it but when it comes way years after the fact it's more retaliation than it is justice you got me i've seen them be more lenient with murderers they'll have people say well this person uh, murdered somebody uh, we didn't find them until 35 years later. What have they been doing for 35 years? Well, they went to medical school. They went to this. They're a doctor in good standing. They do charity work. They do meals with, on wheels and all this kind of stuff. And you don't see where that, that crime repeated itself somewhere. You got a problem. You got a person that, that freedom was on them for 35 years. How do you think they eluded authorities for all that period of time? If there weren't some kind of innocence there. See, if they were guilty, they'd be showing up in CODIS because they keep fingerprints on everybody now. You can get a traffic ticket in some places and get a fingerprinted. And so you, you have to understand that there is something working spiritually. That gives these people a second chance even though the law has not judged them. Got me? In Israel, it was a law that if you killed somebody and there were no witnesses there, you were allowed to escape to a city of refuge. If you made it there alive, you were allowed to stay there. Until the high priest in that city of refuge died. Why were you allowed to stay there? Because if the of the people who were avenging that life caught up with you, that meant you were guilty. That was God's law. That was the way he saw it. So there are people in our midst who have committed crimes that's never been detected. And yet they get involved in society. They become law-abiding people. You understand me? So it's, it's, God's law is working anyway. 
Even though we say the law has been done away with, but it's still the concept of God being the God of justice and mercy is still there. There are probably a lot of people who won't face court because of the way things are so slanted now. That accusation is always believed, whether there's evidence or not. You still gotta have evidence if somebody's gonna be guilty of something. You just can't point your finger at people and say they're guilty and that stands. You gotta be able to prove things. We don't, this isn't a lynching. This isn't a, a kangaroo court. This is, we are supposed to be civilized people that live in, uh, in a land of laws. But you see the law biters get a hard time and the chronic law breakers get all the mercy. So we're, we're, we have to understand that folks about the way the, the spiritual climate is in certain areas, especially in the, <clears throat> this era that we live in now. So James says, <clears throat> Excuse me, verse 11. He says, uh, 411, uh, you, you become a judge and you speak, when you speak evil of your brother, you speak evil of the law. Why? Because that blood paid for him. If, if I call, um, uh, Ms. Juan a, a liar, liar, or I accuse her of lying, I begin to judge the blood of Jesus, that he didn't cleanse her from all unrighteousness. If I continue to label her, amen, if I continue to do that and you're blood bought, it doesn't matter if she didn't confess her lie. You got me? It does not matter. You begin to accuse the blood of Jesus as not doing what it says it can do for all people. You can't do that. You run in trouble with God. You you start uh, offending God. You start offending the blood. And then what happens is that you will get stuck in that mindset. God can turn you over to a reprobate mind. Why? Because the blood's not going to work for you either. You can't have it working for you and not working for her. You got me? And so we have to forgive. That's why the Bible tells first thing they told people. They were commanded to forgive before they were commanded to go and witness to people. So the power for forgiveness comes first in a believer's life. And later the power for witnessing. Which means that it ain't hard to forgive people. How do you know you've forgiven somebody when you quit talking about it and you quit being mad about it? If you're still mad and you're still talking, you're not done. Now you don't understand what forgiveness is. If the Bible says God forgives our sins and he does not mention them anymore, that means if you forgive somebody, you don't mention it anymore. And you quit accusing them. Quit judging the law. Quit judging God's blood. Quit judging what it can do for people. Quit that. Clean up your mind. Clean up your understanding of things. See, we feel good when we can accuse people because we think that makes us feel we're bigger. You know, we're in a position of power because, oh, let me tell you what that person did wrong. I don't know. Mm-hmm. See, that's not love, folks. 
He is not love. He is not love. Hmm? Now, when you hear people going on like that and say, well, well then what do you do? Because the Bible says judge yourself. You're telling me what they do wrong. Tell me what you did wrong. Hmm? <laughs> well, you know, come on now. You just be fair about it. You're, you're the big judge here. Judge yourself too. Let's be scriptural here. <laughs> so, verse, verse 11, it says, if you just, if you judge your brother and judge his brother, speak evil of the law and judge the law. But if you judge, if you judge the law, you are not a doer, but a judge. So those who don't do the word, judge the word. Well, I don't think that faith stuff is for everybody. Well, I don't think that's, that doesn't sound right to me. I don't think I should do that. I don't, you know, uh, that, that, that kind of stuff. I don't know about, you know, humbling myself to, to my boss. I don't know about going in there and taking my boss a birthday card or, you know, a little bunch of flowers. I don't know about all that stuff. You know, they, they might look at me funny. Ah. Hmm? A judge actually sits apart from, say, like a judge in a courtroom. If you're a judge, you, if you're a, not a doer of the word because you refuse to act on it, you're not a ju- doer but a judge. A judge sits apart from the actions of the courtroom, but he is qualified to make decisions according to the law. We don't have anybody like that in the kingdom except Jesus. You got me? He is the judge and Lord of all. So that, that spot's been taken already. Amen. So you're not sitting apart from doing the law. And we are commanded to judge only ourselves according to the word. Amen. So you judge yourself. See how you measure up. And when you're done with that, <laughs> go judge yourself or more. Go do the word. But you are not allowed to judge other people. When we sit on our faith, that means we don't act on it. Man. Our own faith will begin to judge us. So the faith that you had in the words, say God tells you, uh, He says, I want you to, uh, meet, meet with me every day, pray, pray, and ask me to put you in a path of people that need to hear about me. And, and you get faith for that. You start hearing that and you say, oh, okay, I'm going to do that and so forth and so on. And you sit on it. You don't do it. You don't make a move toward it. Your own faith will begin to condemn you. It'll begin to judge you. You'll feel very uncomfortable. You say, oh God, I'm sorry I did it again. I've been doing this forever. Lord, I'll never get this straight. No, just get up and do it next time. So, you start feeling bad and feeling woeful and I don't know why I'm such a failure. It's cause you're not doing. See, when we're under judgment, you gotta defend yourself. You're in the court now. You've been sitting and not doing what God told you to do. Your own faith is beginning to judge you. You feel convicted. You gotta get up and do something. And so, and it's not constant. The Holy Spirit is not haranguing you. You see, when we don't get harangued, we think it's okay to do what we do. 
The Holy Ghost ain't your wife and not your husband. Huh? He feels like, hey, I'll let you know. You know what you need to do to get straight. We need to get straight here. So. We, when we are under judgment though, we have to defend ourselves. So that's when the reasonings and the mental arguments come. You'll sit there and say, I know I should be going out witnessing the people. I know I should be doing this and doing that. Uh, 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 but I gotta do this first. I just don't ever seem to have time to do anything but sit in front of that television. We defend ourselves with excuses. I have too much, I want you, honey, and make my kids, you know, will you ask God for those kids? Now you witnessed fine before they came, but then after that, oh, you're too busy. I'm too important to my family. Your kids would love for you to get lost for 30 minutes a day. I don't have the money for tracks. I don't have the money for, we get piles of stuff in the bookstore. Never gets touched, never gets used. Well, see, I'm not like so-and-so and such. I just can't do that kind of stuff. You haven't tried. Standard excuse. My husband, my wife, my kids. Then people get mad. How come they don't have any decent churches around? What kind of church you want? Let's go. If it's decent, it's going to preach the word and convict you about to do the same thing. I love it when God lets people run to the next place and then they keep hearing the same thing they heard in the last place. That's why many people people will leave a ministry or church and don't go anywhere. Because they're running from that word that they don't want to act on. Or we'll try to bargain and give God a substitute. For, for doing what he told us to do. He, you told him what he told you what to do in the sermon. And you said, well, you know, I, I, I was thinking about going doing so and so and such and such for God. No, go do what he told you to do. Amen. All of these excuses are used to delay or deny obedience. You delay or deny your obedience. We all have a peer group that we can reach. It might be your age group. It might be your neighborhood. It might be, you don't know. But you gotta start putting it before God. God, I wanna do this. I don't know how I'm gonna do it and I'm scared to death. And I don't want these people hurting my feelings and I don't wanna get thrown out of this. I don't wanna lose my job. I, I don't care what it is that's in your way. You gotta get that removed. So that you can be effective for God. If you don't get over those hurdles, you will never be effective for God. Because the devil puts us in jail. Our fear jail. And locks us up there. And he makes us stay there. That's one thing to go witnessing when we're all together, corporate faith. But you need to touch some people every day. I need to touch people every day. You got me? We really, really do. And God has people out there. It will shock you. Some of your neighbors are, they look like nice people, but they drink too much liquor. And they are depressed and don't have a life. It will shock you. 
if you come out of your little shell and start asking God, God, let me run into a neighbor. Let me run into somebody that I know. Let me run into. When I was living in Cleveland, I would, uh, I would walk. I walked a couple of miles every day. And I would just walk in my neighborhood. It was some, some, some streets. It was like in a, uh, developed area, new development, but it wasn't like a city required cement street. So, you know, you walked in the road a little bit and all that kind of stuff. It was fine with me. But I knew that there was a, a an entertainer that lived on one of those streets. And so I would pray for him and I would, um, just ask the Lord. I said, Lord, save him. I, and I know what it was. I heard the family was Jehovah Witnesses. And I would ask God to save him. God, please save his soul. You know, just, just, or let me walk, let me talk to him, Lord. Let me run into him. And I remember walking on that street and I was almost at his house and he was coming down his driveway to get his mail out of the mailbox. And, um, he hadn't, he didn't look up and see me because a lot of times people, you know, like that'll see you and hang back or try to avoid you. And so he was making it to the mailbox before I could, cause I wasn't gonna run. I was just gonna do my usual pace. And for some reason he kept trying to open the mailbox and he couldn't. The mailbox was stuck. So I said, okay God, we'll just hold him there. If you, today is my day to talk to him, hold him there. And so I, it was Gerald Levert, the singer Levert. And so I said, I said, Gerald, I said, how you doing? I said, I'm your neighbor. I live around here. I said, look, Gerald, I pray for you all the time. God's got me praying for you. And he said, yeah, I need it. He was still fumbling trying to get out of it. I said, well, Jesus loves you. And he was running right back into the house. It took just split second. Ability to, you know, you gotta know what God wants you to say to people and so forth. And, um, so anyway, that was the extent, but I continued to pray for him. You see what I'm saying? So there are times where God will begin to open up doors for you. Just let him do it. You don't have to do any of that stuff. You just have to let him, you gotta cooperate with him. Stop being scared to put yourself out there and oh, this will be inconvenience and I don't know how I'm gonna work this in my schedule and I don't feel good. You know, all the stuff we always say all the time. But you feel good enough to do what you want to do. Huh? I don't see anybody in the hospital. I don't see anybody in rehab. Don't worry. You all feeling good enough to do what you want to do. So ask God to help you want to do this. God, help me want to be obedient to your word. Help me want to be a doer. Help me want to. Amen. And he will change your want to's. Amen. So there must be a corresponding action to your faith in order for you to please God. Amen. Everybody write that down. Y'all sit there playing with your tablets again, flipping pages. Put them notes aside. You don't have many notes, so it'll be easy to read them when you get home and <laughs> remember what you said here. But but you you have to add a corresponding action to your faith in order to please God. You gotta do something that proves you believe Him. 
Faith without works is dead because it's alone. The first thing you must do when you know what God wants you to do is you got to say yes. After you say yes, it's up to God to point you in the right direction. Yes, he has to have in order to point you where you need to do and how you need to do. That yes confession actually keeps your faith ignited. Because what happens is if we don't say yes, the minute you get out of here, the devil will steal the word from you. The Bible says that. He'll steal it from you with a bunch of excuses. I don't have time. I can't do this. I don't feel good. I, it seems like every time I want to go out and you know what I'm saying. All them stories. And, and we confess them to each other. That's the bad part about the church. I said, I was getting ready to go do so-and-so for God and so-and-so. That happened to me too. So we start confirming each other's weakness instead of strengthening each other. Don't ever confirm somebody. Don't jump in the gutter with them. You stay out of the gutter. Who's going to pull you out? You both get in there. That's twice the load to pull out of there. Keep your faith ignited so you will be successful if you keep your faith ignited. Amen. Because energized faith can manifest at any time. If it's it's, because faith is now, it's looking for a now place to manifest. If we want empty seats to fill up, how often do we ask God to show us someone who will sit in that seat? God, show me the person who's going to sit in that seat. Point that person out to me. When we go out today to witness God, point out to me the person who's going to sit in that seat. If it doesn't happen the first time you go out, ask again. If it doesn't happen the second time, ask again. We get so easily discouraged at our itty-bitty effort. Got me? Our one-time effort. No, that's enough. We're not going to do that. We just can't do that. We need to daily ask for someone who will fill that seat and ask God to put you in their path. Not send a laborer, put you. You're the laborer. Put me in their path, Lord. I want to tell them about you. I want to tell them about all the wonderful things that we learn about you. And how we can get out and do more things. Find out if they got family members that have needs and, and what the situation is. God, just put me in their path. I want to be a person who helps your kingdom. Helps you get more sons and daughters just like me. It's not right that we're few or the only few around here. We need to have more. More sons and daughters just like you. Don't look for God to just do it on his own. He's already told us how to do it. So you do that every day. That keeps your faith alive. Living faith gets to be stronger every time you step out in it. So if it's alive, it gets stronger. you got to keep your faith alive. If everybody did that, attendance would double immediately. See, when we look at these empty seats, 
the Lord's trying to put conviction on us. Now listen, you're responsible to fill those seats up. But see, we get ashamed of the empty seats and, and what you're ashamed of, you won't act on. You just, you know, boy, here's more empty seats. They're getting emptier and emptier and all that kind of stuff. So you want to keep your faith alive. In other words, you want living faith. You want your faith to stay alive so you can get the results that God wants. You'll get the results of soul winning. You'll get the results of giving. You'll get the results of of sacrifice. There's so many things that your obedience pleases God in. You know, your humility. Uh, not getting upset if people don't want you to pray with them. That's like the silliest thing because you're not, it ain't your prayer. This isn't your gospel. It's not your kingdom. You know, you, you can just absolve yourself from any guilt and wrongdoing. Just don't take it personally. When people just don't want to want prayer, just forgive them in your heart and say, okay, Lord, why well, forgive them? They don't understand what they're turning now. You see, I can look at them and tell they need prayer. But Father, I'm going to forgive this person and get fresh and go to the next one. Amen. And and act like nothing wrong ever happened. But there's so many people who quit because the first thing the devil does when he sees any nervousness on you is he causes people to react negatively. Amen. There are people that people can refuse anything. This isn't for our comfort. Amen. So faith does not always work in a comfort zone. Speaking of comfort, you are deceiving yourself if you say you have faith and you're not moving or planning your next move or anticipating a move. You have to be planning some action to say you have faith. James has already told us it's dead if it's alone. Without works it's dead because it's by itself. So we also keep faith alive through contact with God. Continue to talk to him about it. If it hasn't happened yet, continue to speak to him about it. God, I'm expecting you to put somebody in my path. I know it's a long shot from where I'm sitting here. You understand what I'm saying? It may not, it seems very remote. For where I am. We've all got excuses. You know. Uh, if you live out of town. That could be your excuse. Amen. If you don't have much social interaction. That could be your excuse. But don't use that as an excuse. Amen. It's not an excuse. Just ask God to put faith in your heart. For that contact with him. Amen. Endeavor to use your faith for everything. Anything that God has planned for you, you must receive it because there's a purpose for it. Don't go shopping and decide, "Mm, I don't know if I want that or not. You know, whatever your ears hear that faith starts to, to get inside you for is for you and God expects you to receive it. So you need to endeavor to do everything by faith. Don't step out of here just on your wants and you gotta have this and gotta, don't go off script and be led by the flesh. Your wants, impulses and pride and your insecurities, you can't just flip off like that. Let God lead you. 
Ask for confidence in him and ask for boldness. Whatever you think you're lacking, ask him to supply that. And usually it's some level of confidence, boldness, you know, something like that. If your faith seems weak, strengthen it with time in the word. That's how you get stronger in God. To be with him. Take on his strength. Or just say, Lord, I just don't feel like I can do that. I can't go up to these people. I can't say this. I can't say that. But stay in faith. Stay strong in the Lord. There are things that you can do to cultivate your your witness. I'll, I'll put it that way. There are things that you can do uh, to cultivate your your personality I guess you could say as a witness um, if if you pass somebody like on the street going to the supermarket come out always smile at them and say hello I mean it will open a door for you now it'll shock you how many people are too busy to even look and say anything but see if you can make eye contact with that person and say hi to them you know that itself will take a lot of the fear of witnessing away and it will take a lot of our reluctance to because you got to get a conversation with people you've got to start this is how the gospel is spread through our words and so when you when you come across people always show yourself friendly to them don't ever be too busy don't ever look down Try to engage them so that they'll know that whatever comes from you is good. Because if you just look mean and start talking to them about the Lord, the chances are, you know, you didn't even say hi to them, didn't even try to be, you know, whatever, whatever. So it's, there's all kinds of ways that you can engage people. You know, uh, it wasn't easy for me to talk to people, but God said, start just talking to them like regular people. You don't have to just hit them with the gospel first or something like that, you know. I'll, sometimes I'll mention things and I'll say stuff like, I say, yeah, I said, I said, I always call that God, you know, if something good happens. Say, for instance, um, you know, you get in a line earlier, they open up a, another cashier line. Everybody's been there. And I'll, I'll look at the person, they say, oh, they opened up another. I said, honey, God heard our prayers. I said, I just always call that God. And if they bite and say yes or something, you have a conversation you can make with them. Or they say no, you can just let God lead you. If he doesn't do it any, any, say any more, you don't say any more. But if he has something to add to that, then you can engage them in a conversation. Amen. So it's, it's not that hard, folks, to, to treat people like human beings. You know, just be considerate of them and, and be concerned. God, I gotta know about their immortal soul. I gotta know about this. I was somewhere and I felt in my, I was digging in my purse and saw two prayer cloths in the bottom of my purse. And sure enough, before the day was over, the woman I ran into, I was able to give them to her. She's getting out of her car next to mine. And I, she was struggling getting it out. And I said, I didn't leave you enough room over there. And I got out and I looked. She said, no, nah, there's enough room. But there you go. That's the conversation. And so she said, oh, this arthritis is getting me. I says, I said, now you can't claim that. 
She said, you're right. She said, I said, where are you going to say and stay? You better say you heal. She said, you're right. You're right. And so I was, she was walking in front of my car and my license plate say Rev Barb. And I said, I'm a minister. I'm a Christian. I said, can I give you something? I said, I want to bless you some. I said, I know it's going to help you. She said, yeah. I said, I got some prayer cloths. I said, we prayed over them at the altar. I said, the power of God's on them. I said, I got two of them. I just found them in my purse. Amen. So you don't just stand there and talk and wait for a con. Just keep it moving. Boom, 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 as much as you can. And allow that person, I mean, you ask them, engage them and all that. But when you ask for the business, you, you just close. Be a good closer. We've all sold stuff in our life, even if it's just Girl Scout cookies. But always be a good closer. You know, when you got their attention, you can move in and, and get the goods. And just ask God to lead you in your conversations with people. And and those things will work for you. Amen. They will work for you. And I prayed for her. I said, give me your name. I said, I'm going to pray for you. I said, but I know God's got you already. She said, I believe that too. I said, keep your prayer cloth on you. I said, and, and you'll notice. I said, that pain's going to start easing up on you I said and it will go away and so these things are are things that we can do thank God there's healing we can offer people everybody wants to feel better there's salvation we can offer people there are some people that are not saved that need to know the love of God so there's all kinds of things God can offer them through me and through you amen just got to do it amen father thank you for your word thank you for everything you're doing in us and for us Thank you, Lord, for blessing us. And Father, if we don't learn anything else, we've got to learn that our words are for those outside, not just inside. Lord, church people do so much damage to one another because they don't know how to direct their tongues. So let us be mindful, quick to hear, slow to speak, slower even to be angry. And so we thank you for that admonishment, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. Amen. If anybody